Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. have changed good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio for friday may 18th 2012 this week episode 248 we're back in studio c in mckee's rocks pa with the z-man hey, it's a beautiful spring day here Joe. gorgeous gorgeous long week but i'm back <laughs> atlanta was rough anyway we've got our engineer at the controls roxy v val bender hello hello yeah. course joining us at halftime we're in the roundup will be our technical director dr dietrich wow today's segments include the iaq radio trivia question an interview with jeff bradley of indoor doctor environmental engineer we're going to talk a little fiberglass today we'll do our ha- halftime as usual and then finish with the roundup before we get started let's thank our marquee sponsors net claims now providing insurance billing services for the restoration industry for fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing, learn more about them at www.netclaimsnow.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop, visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, to join the show, just follow the link on your show invitation, go to the show link on the IAQ Radio website, or download the show later. You can either stream it right from our homepage or download it at the go to the show link or from iTunes. Before we get on to our interview, let's move it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Email it to czlotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, text in your answer via your computer. Congratulations. To Andy Krasowski, Concast Metal Products in Mars, PA, for identifying Sardi Carnot as the French scientist who in 1824 is credited with the first formulation for the second law of thermodynamics. The IEQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, May 18, 2012, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their new electronic membership category at www.trsca.org. Now for this week's trivia question. Name the scientist who in his patent number 2133236 
outlined the method and apparatus for making fiberglass. Back to you, Joe. All right. Let's not forget, we also have renewal credits. If you email me at joe.hughes at com, we'll get you a quiz out. You can get ACAC or IICRC or ABIH renewal credits and check out the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. All right. Jeff Bradley is a graduate of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, where he was in the environmental engineering program. He also went on and got his master's degree from Southern Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas, in environmental engineering. He is the founder and president of Indoor Doctor, an environmental consulting company in Newton, Massachusetts, and Derry, New Hampshire. The company specializes in combining science and engineering principles to improve the indoor environment. We talked to Jeff a little bit about fiberglass issues, and uh, he agreed to come on to the show to talk a little bit about indoor environmental quality and fiberglass. We've got some intro music for Jeff. Looking forward, but I'm facing back. I'm naked, safe. I'm wrapped in fiberglass. Looking forward, but I'm facing back. I'm naked, safe, I'm wrapped in fiberglass. All right, let's see. Jeff, do we have you on the line? Hello, Jeff. Hi there, uh, great intro, I'll tell you. <laughs> I need to download that, download that to my iPod. Okay, cool, I'll, I'll let you. Well, actually, if you read the blog... I'll give you all the information where to get the song. Yeah, Cliff does that uh-huh. every week. Uh, for those of you that don't know, he puts the uh, name of the song uh, at the end of the blog every week. All right, well, let's uh, let's get started. And, and I know, Cliff, you kind of took the lead on this one this week. I was in Atlanta all week, so why don't you go ahead and get started sure, on this? Sure, sure. Well, um, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for joining us on IEQ Radio. We're, we're excited to have you. Thanks a lot, Cliff. Thanks for having me. My, my first question is quite basic. What is fiberglass? Well, fiberglass is is simply a fiber reinforced polymer. Uh, It's made of a plastic matrix and then it's reinforced by fine uh, fibers of glass. Um, A little little known fact is that a lot of, like a lot of the materials that were invented in the uh, first part of the 20th century uh, that that Owen's company was accidentally invented fiberglass during a process where there's a air jet stream and they had a, a bunch of molten glass in one section and some produced fibers in the other and they got all mixed up and um, after Owens joined up with a corning company uh, that they, they patented their invention fiberglass hmm. and now there are obviously some beneficial characteristics of fiberglass let's just talk about the beneficial parts of fiberglass for a moment sure thing uh fiberglass is is very durable it's strong has a weather resistant finish um uh, they refer to it as a dimensional stability it virtually can withstand this contraction and expansion and um again it's very strong it's about eight times uh stronger as compared to pvc and pound for pound stronger than sheet metal and why is it used in, in insulation well, insulation, it's a, has a good thermal block to it, so it's going to retain uh, the heat properties. It doesn't conduct electricity. Um, so it's, it's a proven method uh, used by contractors, and it's, it's just um, has a lot of lasting properties to include the fire retardant uh, capabilities. And let's go over just some of the – I mean, I think there's more than we realize – building materials that are commonly made from fiberglass. Right, uh, exactly. Again, in the 1930s, the first product was actually used in home furnace filters, but today you see windows as being the, the most energy-efficient uh, framing available, uh, roofing laminate and piping and chimneys. And, uh, but, but again, most people are commonly see the, the pink matted stuff up in in the attic or, or the basement, so with the insulation. Are they still using it in ceiling tile as well? In not so not so much as far as the actual ceiling tiles. Um, they're using more of a, a rigid structure, um, but but you still come across that. What about um, 
you know, I, I guess there's other uses. Like, why do they use it, and, and what is different about the fiberglass used, for instance, to make boats or, or a sports car like the Corvette and those used for building insulation? Is it the same thing, or are there differences? Well, there's a difference in how it's how it's processed and the different coatings and the different layers. And I'm sure there's some. Uh, you mentioned the sports car. I'm sure there's a lot of auto body people that might might be listening or more familiar with the materials angle, but um, essentially with the rigid structure with a vehicle or a boat hull or or so forth, there are different gel coats and tissue coats and matting coats and cloth coats, so it's this uh, layered process and the the exterior finish becomes really hard and lightweight um, versus the the type that's used for just the insulation where, where you see it predominantly exposed. And when it's exposed like that, is that just pure fiberglass, or is there something mixed in there with it? Well, you have you have the strands of fiber um, combined, and it's mixed with the jagged pieces of glass. And under a microscope, it's uh, it, it looks like you know a broken piece of glass. Hmm. Okay. You know, I don't want to. Well, let's go back just just for a couple minutes. And I, I really haven't been following this, but Joe, you may remember several years ago in our area they were advertising these basement solutions for your house. So rather than put up drywall, they actually had a fiberglass product that was pre-finished, you know, on one side. It was, like, painted, and, you know, these folks would come in in one day, and and they would, like, do your basement with it, and, you know, they said that it was, you know, superior to drywall because it was uh, moisture-resistant. Are you familiar with that type of product, Jeff? Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, products out there. I know the ones that come to mind, Georgia Pacific has really taken the lead with their dense glass exterior products and their dense armor products. Uh, so, so yes, it is becoming um, more popular with the, within your sheetrock and your wall materials. Yeah, that's another area, I guess, within the building where they're using it a lot more on exterior sheathing and, and drywall, um, exterior drywall, I guess we call it, or sheetrock. And um, that's a, a very popular use now, I guess, to avoid some of the problems we've had with molding, is my understanding. That's that's exactly right. Um, I know, at least with the Dense Armor brand products, that that's uh, that's what they're primarily trying to do is is remove those headaches from from moisture issues. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, fiberglass. Is, is it a, a, just an irritant, or is it an actual health hazard in your experience? Well, in my experience, it's primarily an irritant. Um, we came across through some pattern analysis when uh, really concerned parents were at, at wit's ends about their children with persistent coughs and you know throat irritation that couldn't be explained by their physician. So I think that the individual, the age of the individual and their sensitivity has a lot to do with somebody's reaction to maybe an airborne fiberglass issue. Um, now, it was listed as a probable carcinogen for, for a long-term uh, exposure, uh, maybe somebody that's dealing with it on a, a daily basis. I think that's how they classified it. But uh, I see it more as an irritant in the indoor airspace uh, in a residential and commercial setting. Are there, I mean, you know, you mentioned about this, um, you know, prevalence of irritation in children. Is there a certain age group um, that you tend to you know, grow out of it, or is it pretty wide? Well, from what we've seen, that the the target population is really between uh, infant to three years old. Um, so, so that toddler range, um, it, we just see more of an instance where where that has been linked to. Um, their sensitivities and, and constant irritation of the eye, nose, and throat. So it is eye, nose, and throat. Any yes. skin? Have you noticed any, you know, skin or rash or anything like that? Is that have you looked into that? Have you looked into some of the research on that? You know, I have, and obviously the dermal contact when you're actually handling it. Um, certainly, anyone that's handled the, the insulation will find themselves itching and uncomfortable and so forth. Um, I'm just curious. I have a, a project. It's kind of ironic I have, we have you on this week because I've got a project where I suspect part of the problem is is fiberglass. We're going to go back and, 
and uh, look at that more closely, but I've got some unusual uh, issues with the people in the building, and they, you know, at least a few people in the building, they, they're having, you know, problems with itchy, you know, the scalp problems and things of that nature, and I just don't, I, I'm not sure if maybe the fiberglass is contributing to it somehow. Did you see anything like that? Yes, um Oftentimes, it's kind of a mixture where you have a renovation project and you have, you know, other contaminants at play also that, that may not have been contained as well. Uh, certainly, uh, the fiberglass uh, can, can cut the skin, uh, can cause abrasions, and, and also similarly inside the respiratory tract. I guess that could also open it up for if you do have multiple. And that's not unusual, Jeff. Do you find that, you know, people typically have more than one issue in their indoor environment? Exactly, and that's where you really want a, a seasoned uh, environmental engineer or an industrial hygienist that while responding to a specific complaint, whether it be uh, a mold or formaldehyde or, or even fiberglass or any other complaint, there's always other variables at play. And uh, you really need to stay strong and, and rule out all these variables through sound diagnostics um, in, in yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. What are the exposure pathways that you see that that you have seen, at least, by which these building occupants are commonly being exposed to fiberglass issues? In a passive setting, inhalation, um, common scenarios would be uh, fiberglass particles up and in. Let's say, let's use somebody's house or residential or maybe above their office space. In an attic situation where you have, even through constant ventilation, you have disruption of fiberglass particles, and eventually they'll settle through maybe unsealed recessed lights uh, that become airborne that way. Um, obviously, in a basement setting where the exposures, you visually see it, uh, again, even opening up doors, any airway. Um, people like to use their home gyms and throw down their weights and run on the treadmill. Um, other exposure pathways uh, with the staying on the inhalation route would be if rodents have gotten into the ductwork, if it's a flex hose ductwork and they're ripping out the lining, uh, exposing more fiberglass, or maybe somebody's hired uh, a duct cleaning company and they've jammed the cleaning rod down the, the duct lining and ripped it. So uh, it can become airborne through a number of ways. Curious, did you have like a, a, a number of projects where this was a problem or, or one in particular, or is this, uh, I, I know you have an interest in the subject, I'm just curious how, how you became so interested. Well, um, again, it's, it started out where we started seeing a, a common trend where the parents thought there could be mold in the house, and that's why their kids keep coughing or, or sick, and okay. uh, I started to expand the mold spore trap to include other biological and in, in other particles, and there was a constant tread where I, where I saw an increase in, in glass fibers uh, being detected and routed back to the source, and usually there's a close proximity uh, to, to a fiberglass source and where, uh, where the occupant was. Um, did you um, try a different type of sampling as well, or did you just use the spore trap analysis to determine that there was probably an issue with the fiberglass? Well, it's the most cost-effective way. Uh, the other way is using, you know, similar to if you're going to do some asbestos air testing with the TEM method, you could isolate the, the fiberglass particles. But uh, for, for an average homeowner or a budget-conscious uh, property manager, uh, we, we prefer using the aerosols and um, getting a general feel from the laboratory as far as the, the the enumeration or quantification of these particles. So you just tell the laboratory, I want I want you to take a look at other potential issues on this slide, or you specify exactly. fiber. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Right. You know, when under microscopy, is there a common shape of these fiberglass particles? Is it something that's consistent or is it like snowflakes where everyone's different? A little bit of both. They're consistent in that it's typically a, a clear, thin rod and it's usually jagged. And this, in the size is different because usually it's cut differently. 
um, but but the uh, characteristics are fairly fairly similar. I'm curious, where was the fiberglass? What was the source of the fiberglass in the homes that you were working in? Uh, primarily, a lot of times it's the attic. Um, you know where people are insulating the ceilings and so forth, and it's and it's infiltrating either through the uh, HVAC system, which is becoming more popular, uh, you know, over the last 10, 15 years or so, that people are conditioning their homes. They're not tolerating a little, a few weeks of uh, hot spell during the summer, so they put their air conditioning system up in an attic. And a lot of times the, through improper filtration, it can get into the attic. You have a lot of rodents up in the attic, and uh, so that's a very common uh, source. And, and, again, the basement um, people are trying to maximize their living space and, and sometimes, you know, finishing half of the basement and the other half's unfinished where you see a lot of exposed fiberglass in the ceilings by the joists. So you're, I, I didn't realize, you're up in New Hampshire, i like to clarify for listeners, up in New Hampshire and, and Massachusetts, you know, you've got basements, typically the air handling unit's in the basement, but you are seeing more people adding air handling units, or are these new construction or renovation where they're adding an air handling unit or putting an air handling unit in the attic? Uh, both. Uh, people renovating will, will add it, and also it's, it's becoming more, more common, in fact, almost standard to have it up in an attic on a new construction. Um, and, and having lived in the south for many years and out west, that's that's still pretty common practice. Yeah, that's just, I, I just blows my mind that people, that builders are doing that. I mean, you are you seeing any trend toward um, conditioned attics where they, they don't put insulation above the ceiling but put it at the bottom of the roof deck? That's primarily what we see in New England. Okay, okay. So they're putting it in the attic, but they're putting the the insulation up above? Uh, down below on, on the um, on the on the ceiling, on the floor of the attic. Okay, okay. See, I'm talking about when you take that out above the ceiling and you actually put the insulation. They'll put a foam insulation sprayed or up against the mm -hmm. roof deck, essentially, and then your your air conditioner up there is inside of the conditioned space. Are you seeing any of that? Where the air conditioner is inside the conditioned space, right in the attic, they move the move the insulation up to the uh, bottom side of the roof deck. Yes, yes, we do see that. Okay, all right, and I, I would imagine that's another time when you could have some potential for fiberglass issues if they took out fiberglass above the attic. Now I haven't run into this myself, but I'm just kind of you know taking the next logical step if they took some of the insulation out from above the ceiling and didn't do a good job or, you know, disturbed it quite a bit while doing that, you would get quite a bit of fiberglass. Absolutely. And when, when uh, I have property managers or homeowners looking to do this, it makes sense to me uh, never to take, even under containment conditions, to take insulation, tracking it through the house. I'm, I would much rather see it uh, even dump through maybe a, opening up a gable vent on the side of the attic and exiting the house that way into a dumpster rather than having it come come down through the house or from a basement tracking it up through the house. I've got a text from a listener, and, and, and it's, what about fiberglass pathways in an office environment? Any? Sure. Um, absolutely. It, it typically comes through the the ductwork is, is a primary route above the drop ceiling is a primary route. Um, that's typically what we see in an office setting. Okay. Yeah, I've seen, I'm, like I say, I'm dealing with the same thing right now. We've got uh, quite a bit of fiberglass in, in the attic or in the, and yeah, I guess we call it the attic there, and uh, it's not sealed up very well, and, and we suspect there's quite a bit in the air, and particle counts so far are higher than expected, and now we've got to go to the next level since we do have a hypothesis that, we're trying to uh, uh, check or out, prove or disprove. Yeah, um, now I've got to go and do some additional uh, testing, I guess you would call it, or, or diagnostics to verify whether or not that is a problem. So, and we've also sure. checked the pathways, you know. So, just to kind of follow up on what we're talking about, we did some some smoke testing and and tried to verify that there were pathways and there were openings that shouldn't be there, which is uh, not unusual. So, just kind of follow up on the question from the listener. 
Cliff? Yeah, and it sounds and it sounds to me, Joe, you mentioned particle uh, scanning, and uh, what I'll add to that, that's a very good tool, but it should not be a standalone tool as these fiberglass uh, particles can range outside of maybe what the handheld particle scanner is measuring, you know, whether it be the 510.3 micron, even a six-channel. So it's a good indicator, but not a uh, standalone. Yeah, I'm trying to figure whether I should do sport traps or, or go ahead and do a, a filter cassette. But we're going to bring Dr. Wow on at, at halftime or, yeah, I think at halftime and ask him a few questions on that as well because it's definitely – and you could always, always also just to – kind of follow up did you do any surface sampling in these homes to see if fiberglass had settled on the surfaces uh as far as dust characterization yes and, and it and it you know certainly was was part of the mix okay how did you have that analyzed is it uh did you send it into the lab or let's first start with how did you sample the dust um because we were looking oftentimes i'm trying to look for other factors or other variables and still keep the uh, overall laboratory fees at the lowest possible level in some of these situations. Uh, I'd like to use the uh, carpet check uh, dust sampler uh, to get a good matrix and a good dust sample. That's my okay. preferred route. Uh, okay. Where there's, you know, sometimes in carpet fibers, you're just using a tape lift or something like that would be sufficient, but I try to cover a very wide area and a good cross-sectional approach. So. Okay. Cliff? I think maybe one more question before halftime, Joe. Um, the, the word friable, first time I ever heard it used was in relationship with asbestos. Um, is the word friable applicable to fiberglass particles? Well, to me, friable is definitely linked to asbestos, both legal connotations and general talk with other air quality professionals and homeowners. So um, technically, yes, you're breaking it up or disturbing it. It's technically friable, but I don't see it linked using that specific term. I think that asbestos has that term locked in. Okay. Yeah, I, I, can, I can tell you that one, Cliff. I did that for years. Crushed, crumbled, pulverized, or reduced to powder by hand pressure. I could say that in my sleep after 20 years of teaching asbestos courses. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, that's why I got out of it. I started waking up in the middle of the night going, asbestos is a fibrous mineral. <laughs> anyway, all right, Jeff. We're going to go to our halftime here. We're going to go back at the end of half. We've got, um, some, we've got to thank a few sponsors and make sure we yeah, please uh, hang on take care us. of the sponsors. Please hang on. We're going to bring Dr. Wow in for the second half, I think, and just kind of do a little roundtable on the issue for the second half. I know he's done uh, quite a bit with fiberglass, and especially with respect to uh, research on the toxicity, which we kind of talked about briefly but didn't go into any detail. Thanks to our association sponsors, the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. Net Claims Now, providing insurance billing services for the restoration industry for fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing. Learn more about them at 
www.netclaimsnow.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, we're back for the second half with the indoor Dr. Jeff Bradley. We've got uh, Jeff over the break. And by the way, Dr. Wild, give me another five minutes here. We uh, made a, a, an executive decision to finish these couple of questions, and then we're going to have a round roundtable discussion after that. I also got a tech or a, an email question for. Uh, Jeff, from a listener, so the question is this. Um, I'm about to replace my home attic insulation, and I want to know if I should put in fiberglass insulation or foam insulation. I, 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 you know, from my own perspective, I understand it's going to be tough for you to just make a call without looking at the situation a little more closely. But can you give us some general thoughts on, you know, the, the benefits and the good and the bad about the fiberglass versus, uh, say, a foam? Absolutely. Um, and you'll definitely want to check with your builder and maybe even get a couple second opinions as the appropriate R value because the last thing you want to do is create a system where the attic or wherever you're insulating comes in balanced um, in the New England region that could lead to further ice damming and so forth. But in general, um, if you can remove the fiberglass safely without tracking it into the house, I see a number of advantages with safe, non-toxic spray foam insulation. Uh, obviously, it's important that the underlying wood is completely dry. Otherwise, the spray foam will be trapping in that moisture. Uh, secondly, you want to make sure that, you're not, that you do not have future plans to run any electrical or other, any other utilities. Because once that foam is hardened, um, it, it becomes very, very difficult. And secondly... I think if you do go to the track of the spray foam insulation, even if the company says it's safe, non-toxic, non-off-gassing, I'd put that in writing in the work scope. I've done a couple of inspections and jobs to where uh, so-called non-toxic spray foam insulation yielded a very high formaldehyde count uh, to where it's impacting the air quality and, and people's health. So. Yeah, you kind of anticipated some comments we got here. I got uh, people saying no foam. I agree to no foam <laughs> uh, because of the off-gassing issue. There there have been, unfortunately, I don't know what percent it is. I wish there was a, a good study on this. There have been problems with the uh, – I don't. The, and I've seen arguments as to whether it's the application or it's the um, – you know the product itself, but you know there seems to be some occasional unfortunate problems with that. I, and I see you've run into that as well. Yes, um, uh, I have, and and it's once it's set and it's hard, it's very difficult um, to to remove. And then you're figuring out well who's responsible. Then you got the manufacturer and the builder, and uh, meanwhile the homeowner either cannot occupy the space or has trouble selling the property. What about if you've got a fiberglass insulation in an attic and you want to add some additional uh, R value? You want to leave that in place. So I've got a fiberglass with, let's say, a um, a craft face that's facing the the you know that's facing down in my attic. So the craft side is on the top of the ceiling, essentially. In these colder environments, that's what we've always seen. What would we add on top of that? Well, I would defer to to a builder uh, specialized in an attic ventilation because too often what I see is the homeowners making this decision. Uh, they're arbitrarily either adding extra layers or or spraying in uh, loose cellulose insulation, and this in the attic system becomes imbalanced. Uh, excess humidity forms on the sheeting or ice damming uh, occurs on the roof, and obviously that leads to other consequences um, dealing okay. with mold. That's good. And some of the energy guys are pretty good at these things, too, you know, figuring these things out. 
Um, okay, well, Cliff, I know you wanted to sure, wrap yeah. up a few questions yeah. before we bring Dieter on. Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, some mold spores are quite aerodynamic and can remain airborne for, for quite some time. Could you comment on how long fiberglass particles can remain airborne? Any idea? Yeah, and, and obviously it's the quantity and the dispersal mechanism and where you're at in the home or the building. But what I tell restoration contractors when, when possibly dealing with an airborne fiberglass issue is to run those air scrubbers uh, at least another five to seven days. Uh, I find that the mold spores can be captured a lot easier than these fiberglass particles. So I've seen, I've seen suspended fiberglass after the source has been eliminated uh, stay airborne for weeks. Joe. Okay. Sure. Okay, and then um, there, there's been, you know, a lot of uh, awareness, I guess, or heightened awareness, uh, at least recently, about these fiberglass particles. There, there is some scientific scrutiny, um, and when the concern seemed, then you know, it was a while back, I guess, there was a big issue about fiberglass, you know, and then you were talking about it was um, labeled as potentially carcinogenic, and we'll, we'll talk to the doctor about that, and then. It kind of died down there, and, and recently I haven't seen as much about it until we just talked about it here. Why do you think it died off? I think that there was an assumption that once it's, once the fiberglass has been installed in an area either sealed off or in an attic, once it's been installed, then the relative risk would become negligible that there wasn't a chance to have it become airborne Um I think that that was a faulty assumption. Okay. Um, so, I think part then, it, then obviously it's not a, a common thing for a typical homeowner or property manager to do to conduct fiberglass testing. Uh, it's colorless. You, you're not going to see the the actual fiberglass in the air. It's usually below the optical level, so it's not something that you see, uh, such as maybe mold on a wall or or smell with a chemical VOC. So. I kind of liken it to radon in a way where even though it's a second leading cause of lung cancer, because it's odorless and colorless, people generally uh, may only do a radon test during the purchase uh, or sale, if that. So. How big are these fiberglass fibers that, you're, you're in, that you are finding in these samples that you're taking? Sure. I've seen, uh, you know, using the three and the six channel particle scanner, we've kind of uh, detected them, you know, any ranging from the, the 5 to 10, 20 micron. The laboratory uh, is indicated information that it, it typically could be much larger on a, a common level between 100 and 200 microns. Hmm. Okay. Cliff? Yeah, I've got – can you provide some guidance to remediators? You know, you've talked about uh, HEPA – filtration devices, air filtration devices. Um, what else can be done to contain loose fiberglass particles? Are, are there sealants, uh, coatings, uh, things like that that in, in your experience have proven successful or proven unsuccessful? I've, I recommend that first they set up a containment zone, a double containment zone, especially if they're uh, you know, up and through the either an attic hatch or, or another area, uh, a double containment zone with the sticky mats and, and so forth. Um, that that seems to be a very good control measure. Uh, some instances where you have it under negative air pressure and with the air scrubbers, and then treating it just as you would uh, a mold, lead, or asbestos issue where you're doing the detailed HEPA vacuuming and so forth. And I think if they they stay along those pro that protocol, that's going to be a a lot better in the long run uh, for for their consumer. Is that, is that if you're removing it? Now, what about if you're you're not really removing it, but you're just trying to make sure it doesn't become airborne? And you know, uh, obviously, we'd seal up any any air uh, gaps and and make sure that we've sealed the area very well. Is there any other product that people have uh, tried? I'm not familiar with any where they're trying to kind of lock it down or anything. Are you familiar with any of that? No, no, I'm not. And with every action, as you know, there's usually a, a negative reaction with any sort of coating or spray. To take a look at if it's applicable for the indoor use, one, um, see if yeah. there's any off-gassing. I have seen negative consequences where people put up 
the, the poly vapor barriers on you know in a in an environment on on top of the insulation and uh, sometimes that can lead to a lot of mal odors, especially if rodents get in there. They tend to defecate and die and nest within the insulation. Well, and go. if there's excess moisture in that in that area, if it's not airtight, it's going to absorb. Yeah, you're going to have moisture problems as well, I would imagine. Now, right. Th- that um, okay. That, I think that that's what I wanted to go over there. Let's uh, let's bring in uh, our buddy, the good doctor. <laughs> Good day, Dr. Dietrich. Wow. Good day to you, too. How are you doing? I'm good. We needed some mariachi music or something for you. I'm back from Mexico. Well, I'm listening to Django Reinhardt in the background over here, <laughs> whoever that is. Wonderful, wonderful guitar player from the 1930s and 40s. Wow. Fortunately, he is yeah. dead. Yeah. Uh, mariachis, I listened to them down in Mexico. Yeah, it got very hot, and I tell you one thing: when I got back to Pittsburgh, and it was fifty-eight degrees. That felt very good. <laughs> oh, I tell you, I feel the same way. It was eighty-eight when I left Atlanta. I hit that beautiful fifty-eight degree weather. I was oh, isn't that beautiful? Rejuvenated. Yes. Anyway, anyway, what's up yes, with the fiberglass made, deal? Um, uh, some excellent uh, uh, comments, and I want to go ten steps back right now. There are two types of fiberglass in this world. And the one is the Pink Panther made by Dow Corning or whoever it is. And the other one is what they call rock wool or mineral wool, which is made in a completely different way and with different materials than the pink stuff that we all know about. And that is very, very important. Um, When you make the rock wool, the mineral wool, fiberglass, that was a big business in the Pittsburgh area where manufacturers of fiberglass got and they they picked it up at the steel mills when it was still hot. There were a lot of BTUs inside. Then they took it to their factory. They heated it again and literally, like Jeff said, by accident somebody found that out. They are blowing air through it. They are basically making cotton candy. They have no control over fiber size. And to me, what's even more important from the toxicity standpoint is, um, what is this, the starting material? Every heavy metal, every piece of garbage that you can think of is in the slag when you are making steel. They were throwing it away. And Joe knows, if you go out to a Squirrel Hill Tunnel over here, on the right side is a, 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 a what is it, a hill, yeah. which is made from slag. And now there's homes built on yeah, top man. of it. <laughs> right. you know, they're building houses up on top of it. Right, right. don't really have a big problem with that. Now, dear, are, they still, are, are we still using that that you know of? I have no idea. I'm even... pretty sure. <clears throat> in the yeah. Let's go another step back. The starting materials for fiberglass, it virtually doesn't cost anything. That's, it's not made from oil or any of that. <coughs> uh, if you make quick fiberglass, uh, Dow Corning, they use, clo- quote, clean sand. I don't know whether that mineral wool and so on is still done and uh, marketed. Uh, it could be. So not only don't you have any control over the fiber size, but you don't know what's in it. It's a dirty fiber. Let's put it this way. And it's still in older homes for sure. For sure, we know. Oh, people, and that's my a, attic is full of it. That's a great point you bring up, dear. That people should watch. I, for my that. attic is full of it, and it's not thick enough. I don't go up there, so I really don't care. Okay. Let me just ask just Jeff. Mentioned that also. Now, if you have an attic and you walk in there every day for three hours. Yeah, you better do something else. <laughs> Jeff, have you run into that? Um, <clears throat> as far as the, we we see a lot of the the pink fiberglass. Okay. Um, that, that's predominant. Okay. All right, Dieter, go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, let's let's move well, on to here's your next. Here's the next one. 
if you get one of those $3,000 particle counters, uh, they will count the particles very, very nicely, and they do not discriminate against a round particle and a fiber. And if you take a particle count, like in my attic, where that stuff is, you don't get a count for fibers only. You get a count for everything that is floating up there, from bacteria to mold spores to good old crud and garbage, my skin cells, and whatever else. <clears throat> so you got to watch out. Uh, when you get a reading, I have nothing against a particle counter, but it is not, you're not measuring only particles. Sure. sure. The next, the good thing is, and I said it before, I said it again, well, and I will say it again. I, and I can defend that one very, very nicely. Um, the particles which we are counting uh, with a particle counter are certainly less than 10 micrometers in diameter, or of aerodynamic size, I should say. That's how they are sized. A fiber behaves in air differently than a round particle. It behaves according to its diameter, not its length. That's why relatively long fibers, like an asbestos fiber, can get inhaled. It behaves like a 0.5 micron particle, even though the whole thing is 10 micrometers uh, uh, in, uh, in length. So now, 10 micrometers in length is in an alveoli or in, in an alveolus, and it, that's where the cancer can start and, and will start. There is no doubt about it. Mun fiber will not do it, but yeah, if you work in the asbestos industry. So we got to watch out with that one. I agree 100% with Jeff. I love microscopy. <clears throat> when I have the particle counter, I get a bunch of numbers. When I look through a microscope, I say, whoops, look at that. There are a lot of fibers. There are very few fibers. There are a lot of black particles. There are a lot of greenish particles. There are a lot of small particles. I get a feel for it. But after one second of looking at that microscope, uh, through that microscope, I haven't even sized anything. So uh, I know uh, at the University of Pittsburgh years ago, Paul Gross and Ted Hatch uh, uh, had a contract with Dow Koning, and they exposed uh, rabbits and guinea pigs at the time um, to fiberglass made by Dow Koning. They had a research uh, uh, grant there. I was not involved in that. Uh, that was before my time over there. But I knew both of them, and I knew what happened. And the bottom line was, no, <clears throat> it didn't produce cancer. And this is now the Dow Corning. This is the, 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 the Pink Panther stuff, which is made like spaghetti. It is pushed through a sieve, not like uh, that mineral wool that uh, uh, I mentioned earlier. So now we have control over uh, the fiber size. So... And what is the diameter of that fiber size? It's way above respirable particles. Can I inhale something in my nose? Yes, indeed. Does it go deep into the lung? Absolutely not. It just can't happen. The, the, the particle size is too large uh, uh, for that. So the other uh, we got that one out of the way. Oh, by the way, congratulations, Andy. Andy did it again. He, when he retires, he can... Uh, start his business with uh, baseball uh, hats with IAQ. <laughs> and go on Jeopardy. There, yeah, that's, uh, that's right. Let me ask uh, you Jeff, a question. Jeff, that is, an, that is an inside joke. You don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> now, there's a, there's a text question here. Let me do that, and then we'll, we'll come back to I you. I have a text question, too, and, and Jeff answered it already. Okay. Well, should I use foam or should I use uh, fiberglass? And that is an interesting uh, thing. Uh, foam, I worked 10 years for the Bayer Chemical uh, Company, where we developed those systems 35 years ago. And the active ingredient here, well, there are two ingredients, uh, basically, is what is called MDI. It is a methylene bisphenol isocyanate. It's, it's, a, it's a polyurethane. 
that's uh, most people. They, if you say isocyanate uh, MDI, nobody knows what that means. But it is a polyurethane, and the polyurethanes can be developed to make coatings out of it, soft foam. You're sitting on polyurethane foam in your car. Every car has polyurethane for uh, four minutes. Your dashboard and the bumpers are made from MDI, that is that methylene bisphenol isocyanate. I worked with it. It has fantastic insulation properties, and if applied correctly, it is an outstanding material. There are a couple of problems. A, the mixture has to be right. When you put together the two strains, there is a polyol and the isocyanate. That is exact chemistry. You can't cheat. And if you don't have that right mixture, then it will not all harden, we call it curing, uh, at the same time and in the right way. The other one is, uh, Jeff mentioned that also, is uh, formaldehyde foam. I don't like formaldehyde foam because it does break down uh, with time and temperature. So I wouldn't use uh, uh, MDI uh, 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 formaldehyde foam, whether it's urea formaldehyde foam that is probably the better choice in my attic. If I were to use um, the polyurethane, uh, that will give you a fantastic R value, and you've got to make sure that you apply it at the right area. Where do I want it? Where don't I want it? I'm not a building scientist. I don't stick my neck out right now. But it is a fantastic material. And Jeff mentioned it. Once it's cured, people call it hardened, once it's cured, there is nothing wrong with it. Like I said, you're living with it every day uh, all over the place. And I shut up, and maybe there is uh, uh, another question coming in. And, Joe, you had another one. Yes. Um, there's a text and asking either of you if you have any thoughts on the new Owens Corning Eco Touch that claims to prevent aerosolization of the fiberglass. Jeff, have you heard of that one or, or worked with that one? I have not worked with that particular product. Uh, we haven't done any independent testing, but uh, we'll put that on the list. Um, I'd oh. like to get some independent testing. Or the Arctic oh, Cat, that, that was, I guess John said. There's an Arctic Cat version of that as well. And I haven't, yeah. I don't know about you, Cliff, but I don't think I've ever. No, I've never run it's, into it. I don't know how, no, John, text us, let us know how, how long that's been around. I haven't, I haven't run into it, but I don't get out in the field as much as he does. All right, um, Jeff, anything? I don't know like anything to... about it either. Okay. But the other interesting thing is, and uh, people, I mean, don't know it or forget about it and or don't think about it. It is not the glass fiber that produces the insulation properties. It traps the air. Yeah. Air is a very, very good insulator. It's incredibly good. So, <clears throat> it's, a, it's not as good as the best insulator that I can think of is a vacuum. Uh, that is the best insulator, and we know that from outer space where we have temperatures of five and 600 degrees on one side, and 500 below uh, uh, freezing on the other side, and it works. It's well, unbelievable. Do your houses, how does the surface area of the, of the fibers affect that? Um, well, I think they make it pink more for marketing. You, know, you can't sell a product. A friend of mine was a designer for Westinghouse, and he designed a couple of... Um, uh, what do you call these? The waste disposal things in your kitchen in, 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 uh, under the sink? The garbage disposal. Garbage disposal. And he made them in blue and green and red and yellow. And I said, uh, nobody cares what that <laughs> looks like. And I said, yes, Dieter, when they are buying it, I said, this one looks better than the other. Wow. I don't know why they are making it uh, pink. The coating on there, uh, which, by the way, uh, uh, traps particles too, inadvertently they are not made to trap particles but once they fall in there they stick to it and we all know used or older pink uh, insulation material all of a sudden is black where does the black come from well that's dirt and i don't know what kind of dirt it is it can be anything and it is anything so i think they just keep it there that the fibers stick to each other to make a mat that the thing 
Yeah. We, why don't we use cellulose fibers? Well, we use them. I mean, cotton. Well, that would sink down. The raw cotton would just just mat down and doesn't trap any air anymore. Okay. So the Pink Panther thing is the fibers stick to each other and kind of form a matrix. I think that's the best way to say it, that it will not mat down. When you buy it as six inches thick, it will stay six inches thick. It's not going to be four inches or three inches thick after a year or so. What about and that is because the fibers are sticking to each other. What about the width of the fibers, Dieter? How do they come up with the optimum width? Well, that had something to do with manufacture. First of all, we know we can see, a normal human eye can see, the size of a uh, pink panther uh, fiber. And, uh, and, and just mention that it is approximately the size of a hair, which is 100 micrometers or thereabouts. And with the coating, it may actually go a little bit thicker uh, than that. that. That fiber is now non-respirable. You can't get it into your lungs. It is going to be in your nose. It produces irritation, and you <coughs> cough a little bit, but that's about it. It doesn't deposit uh, in the lung. <coughs> and the, uh, the International Cancer Institute, which had fiberglass on the cancer list for, I don't know, 15, 20 years, they finally took it off, and they said, there is really no evidence whatsoever that it produces cancer, and in this case, lung cancer. And the answer is very simple. If you can't inhale it, it can't produce the disease. (laughs) It's as simple as that. Dieter, I've got a text. Yes, it does. I used it on my face, on on my hands, and on my feet and ankles, and uh, yeah, after three days, heck with it. Uh, Is it more irritating to uh, 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 an infant, like Jeff mentioned? Probably. I don't know. I have no experience with infants. Well, so we've, we've got a toss-up question for the uh, for the, the roundup here, and that is, it's texted in, can mold grow on fiberglass? Well, the answer is, of course, yes and no, <clears throat> which is a shitty answer. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is don't no. Don't sugarcoat it, dear. you okay. have, what, what do you need for a mold, for a mold to grow? Food and moisture and a little bit of oxygen, which is caught everywhere. So you need food and moisture. If you do an experiment in the laboratory and you keep it nice and dry, 20% relative humidity, good luck, you're not going to grow it. If you increase the uh, humidity and the moisture in the air and uh, that uh, that there is enough moisture for mold growth, can it grow? No. The answer is no. Uh, Why? There's no food. Yeah, it's impossible. Now, if you use it in your attic, in your walls, and so on, uh, and it collects, as I, that's why fiberglass is, by the way, used as a, a filter. It acts kind of like a filter. Particles are depositing uh, on there that has nothing to do with respirable particles, the small particles, the 10 micrometers or less. All the other dust particles, the garbage that is in our house, out on the outside, on the inside, in your it's all over the place. That's when the pink uh, stuff becomes uh, uh, blackish. And there is a good chance that those particles which are now deposited on the clean material, uh, and yeah, they call it a biofilm, there are particles in there which some... Uh, bacteria and for that matter moles like to eat and they say wow we got a little bit of moisture we got fruit let's settle down over here so in other words that is the situation where it can grow on there what does it mean for everybody uh, who uses it well if you keep your fiberglass completely clean anywhere in your house by the way good luck (laughs) it can't be done then you probably can't do it on there. If you keep it nice and moist and a lot of food on there, you can grow uh, uh, mold on there beautifully. And that happens quite frequently. I have seen it in basements where the material actually is wet. I mean, wet to the touch. I didn't even need a moisture meter for that. 
of course you can grow them. So those are the yes and no answers. Joe, I'd just like to add one one point to the, those great comments. Please do. Um, kind of back to that earlier text with, with this eco brand. A lot of eco brands, in, and I'm not, again, familiar with the specific eco touch that the texture was referring to, but a lot of eco brands may use more recycled materials as a marketing, you know, as part of their, their materials and also their marketing for the green initiatives. Some of these recycled materials will contain higher concentrations of organic matter, which um, was just cited earlier. That, that can be a potential food source when combined with added humidity. Um, okay. Yeah, so. absolutely. And uh, like I said, the, the, the starting materials are inexpensive. Yeah, like you can go to the beach and uh, shovel the stuff up, and you can make uh, fiberglass out of it. And we've got to get John here on the show one of these days. Have a little round table with with Mister Lapater and and the I gang. I think that's. I think that would be great, Joe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If, if everybody gets about ten minutes. That's about forty minutes. That sounds about right. Yes. I go around the table. All right, let's go one time around here, Cliff. Did you have anything to uh, to add? I just actually had a question for both Dieter and Jeff. Um, Dieter, I, I've, I've seen the, – the question's the same. I've seen the inside um, of the, the, the seats in my automobile, and you can see the MBI foam that's molded to the seats. And there's a difference in the appearance of the exterior, what I guess I'd call the outer crust, and what's inside. Uh, the same thing holds for fiberglass, you know, such as on ceiling tiles and, and things like that, where this outer crust, or at least what's on the surface, seems to be different. And I wasn't sure whether it's heat treated. I'm not sure whether there's a coating put on it. I'm just wondering if, if either of you know why it looks different on the outside than it looks in the inside. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, uh, a dust particle deposition. Okay. And interestingly, the coating they put onto the fibers to make that matrix that stays open, you know, six, you buy it six inches, you install it in it six inches, it's also a little bit sticky, so the stuff does stick to it, yes. All right. Jeff, any comment yeah, on I would that? Just, yeah, with the vehicle application, a lot of times there's different layering with, the, the resins and the hardeners and the gel coats and these different mats of cloth and tissue and so forth. So uh, the difference in appearance is likely explained through these different gel coats and uh, different mats, um, you know, between what you what you see in a vehicle application. So that's kind of... All right. Well, I've got one more. I asked uh, John to text in how old, how long. I hadn't really been exposed to this new product and now i know why it, it says that uh at the national association of home builders show this year owens corning was promoting their new technology that substantially reduces the aerosolization of fiberglass so it just came out and that's why i hadn't seen it they call it eco touch l77 or arctic cat thank you john and val you get the last question Yes, Jeff, we always like to give our guests um, a chance to say a final word if you have any, and also to provide your contact information for our listeners. Sure, absolutely. Uh, what I'd like to, to stress to employees in, in residential, uh, parents of kids and so forth, when you have a renovation job, um, that if it doesn't seem right or if you have a concern, to take appropriate action, to write into the work scope proper containment, to have uh, sufficient managers on site to, to make sure that these containment measures are being maintained. Because the last thing you want to do is make something worse. That's very frustrating. It's often costly to correct. So I do recommend um, to have good oversight, uh, to protect the air quality, protect the health of, of those around you. And indoor doctor... Uh, can be found simply at indoordoctor.com. Uh, that's a website. It's all spelled out, indoordoctor.com. We're very accessible uh, through phone and email, and be glad to help out to any listeners uh, today. Well, great. And, you know, we appreciate you coming on. And, you know, I think more importantly, uh, and certainly we, we're, we're happy to have you, but I think it was really 
great to bring up the subject. Uh, yeah, something different. You know, it was definitely something we hadn't talked a great deal about. We've done 248 shows now, and we never really got into that kind of detail on fiberglass. And and it, it was actually very timely for me, Jeff. Thank you, because uh, I'm dealing with that issue right now on a, on a project of mine. So we do appreciate yeah, and, you joining us. And everybody has fiberglass in their house, or is, I don't want to say exposed, but... It's close to fiberglass, uh, yeah, every one of us. Yeah, yeah, dear. I mean, it's like it's all around. I know you and I, we've talked about it a little here and there on the show, but I don't think we ever dedicated a whole show to the issue. I I think that is a, was an excellent idea, the way it worked out. That's perfect. Yeah. Great, great. Well, Thanks for thanks for having me. Um, I think that hopefully you'll gain some traction in the indoor air quality world, and, and I hope that uh, the laboratories continue to or start to offer it more as, as a featured service and um as a part of their uh, maybe as an, yeah. uh, an additional part of doing the spore trap well why don't you let us know if you run across anything that uh in addition to mold now some of them do offer for instance uh they'll put uh oh, pollen cons on there and, and some will put insect parts and things like that but i don't recall seeing without asking additional information on fiberglass or uh, unless, like I say, you asked about, asked about it. So, great topic. Thanks a lot. Um, okay. Thank you. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guest, the indoor doctor, Jeff Bradley, uh, environmental engineer up in the New England area. Interesting show on fiberglass today. Of course, thanks to our technical director, as always, Dr. Dietrich Wild, back from Mexico. Always great to have you with us, Dieter. Uh, to my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick, another uh, was a fun, show. fun week this week. And, of course, to our engineer. Roxy V, Val Bender, nice job. And uh, she's trying to teach me how to run the controls here. I, mean, I, I think we might just have to not have a show that way. <laughs> I think we should. This is, uh, the, I want to also make sure I thank John Lapater and uh, who else texted in there today. It was, uh, I saw a name I hadn't seen a whole lot before. Um, I don't see it here again, but uh young lady that texted in along with John. Trudy. Uh, let's get that name. Lucas. Uh, Trudy Lucas. Thanks, Trudy. Some good questions. And everybody else, of course, our group of growing loyal listeners. Thanks. And join us again next, uh, oh, wait, next Friday. No show. Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy your holiday. We'll see you back here the first Friday after the Memorial Day weekend for the next episode of IAQ Radio. IAQ Radio Production.